Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, likely to be his older brother who was kind of first in line. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that is belonging to our relative Elimelech. I thought that I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, well, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Machlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Machlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the deeds with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his own hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women said, the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the little genealogy at the end. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, of all places. Salmon, the father of this great guy, Boaz. Boaz, the father of little Obed, who became the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Good morning, everybody. So it's really great to be here. Am I, am I on? Yeah. I feel like I have to say that because that's just what you do at the start of a talk, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
Fantastic, Destiny. Well done. Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to, uh, to come to the end of this, uh, this series on the book of Ruth that we've been looking at for the last uh, few weeks. And, and this is a really exciting time of year, isn't it? This is a time of anticipation. It's a time of, uh, you know, looking forward to Christmas. Um, I think for me, uh, this kind of time of year is really my favourite uh, time in the whole of the year. People don't understand it. People love the summer. I'm not a fan of summer at all. I think it's too hot, you know. I like putting on lots of layers of clothes and getting up nice and, you know, nice and cosy and warm. Uh, this time of year is my favourite time of year. I like, I like just to, to look forward to things. And uh, really, before we kind of innate, before we go into the whole Christmas period, uh, we're finishing this week uh, with this book of Ruth. And in a lot of ways, I think this, uh, this ending chapter really links us really beautifully into the Christmas period. And we're going to look at bit, a little bit at that uh, towards the end uh, of what I've got to say this morning. So, I don't know about you, but this, this story of Ruth is one of, one of those stories that as we've dug away uh, beyond the kind of surface level of things, it's been really clear to see God turning up in really amazing ways. The, the, the book of Ruth um, doesn't explicitly mention God very much, it does a few times, but it doesn't, very, you know, it doesn't explicitly say uh, a lot about God, but we can really see through the actions of some of the characters really what God's like. And, and Tim already had mentioned, and Sarah last week, uh, mentioned how Ruth is in a lot of ways a window uh, through which we can see a lot of what God's character is like, and we can learn so much about who this amazing God that we worship is like. So. Uh, Andy's already recapped a little bit about last week, what happened. Uh, Ruth uh, went down last week to the threshing floor uh, where she, she lay down next to Boaz. And, and she took a really huge risk doing this. This was a very risky plan for her. And this is something that I really want to look at again this morning, that, that the idea of taking risks. And we're going to look, about, look at that further this morning. And Boaz last week promised that he would look after Ruth as her guardian redeemer, and some translations uh, use the term kinsman redeemer as well. And again, we're going to look at that a little bit later on. And as Andy says, chapter three finishes on this cliffhanger, wait and see what's going to happen. I love that, that idea of waiting. I love that idea of, of, of being in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen and really allowing God to work things out Compare this to, to chapter 2, uh, verse 2, where, uh, where it says, as it turned out, Boaz came on the scene. There's so many uh, instances in this story of, of things almost kind of coincidentally on the surface happening, but it's a real evidence of God working things out, God working through the background of this story throughout the whole, uh, the whole of the four chapters. So we come to the end of this, uh, the end of this final chapter, the climax of the story. Um, I wonder how many people here have ever uh, watched any kind of legal drama on TV, a courtroom drama. There are some, yeah, few people. They're quite, they're quite popular. There are some, there are some good ones. There are some pretty rubbish ones as well. But there's just, there's something about a courtroom drama, a legal drama that I think we find really engaging, don't we? There's something about the drama of a courtroom, the un- the uncertainty of knowing what's going to happen. And this story, this, this ending chapter, really uh, is an example of that. You know, we're in, the, we're in the, the kind of legal hearing of the day. And you can really feel, I think, the tension through this whole chapter. As is the case, it's, it's really what is happening between the lines that is important here. You know, but there is, throughout this whole chapter, there's a tension, there's the uncertainty. What's going to happen? Is Boaz's plan going to work out? Is it not going to work out? And I think that right at the very centre of this chapter, we can see God at work. We can see God at work uh, through the legal system of the day, 
We can see God at work through the traditions, the very strange traditions of taking off your shoe and giving it to somebody else. You know, there's, there's God working through the traditions of the day, God working through the people who are involved in the, in, in the story as well. And I think out of this story, out of this courtroom drama, I want to really just uh, tease out really three very, very basic, very simple thoughts that struck me as I, as I went through this chapter um, in preparation for this. The first is this. Uh, God's work never fails. My first point here, God's work never fails. It's interesting, we sung about that already uh, this morning, how God never fails. And I think we see in this chapter evidence of this, that God's work never fails. Have a look at this, at this video before we continue. <laughs> what do you say to that? Do you know what I mean? What do you, what do you say to that? Um, I think my reaction um, when I see a video like that is, is kind of split between, on the one hand, thinking that's incredibly impressive, isn't it? You know, that's amazing that this guy could do that. And also, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, like, there's no way that I would ever want to put on a kind of, you know, sheeting suits, chuck myself off a mountain and fly through a hole that is only 60 to 70 centimetres wide. Um, we're going to come back uh, to, to that video in a little bit, but um, how many people here would say that they, are, they enjoy taking risks? Anybody? There's a lot of shaking. Some people? Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Some people... Um, in this chapter, Boaz is taking a huge risk. In, in his whole plan, he's taking a real risk in terms of what could happen here. There is real uncertainty in what's going to happen, what the out- outcome of the story is going to be. Think about this from, from Naomi and from Ruth's point of view. Uh, here we've got the, the, other, uh, the other guardian redeemer that's talked about on the scene. They weren't expecting that, but he comes on the scene and he's given a first refusal. Now, Boaz knows at this point that he doesn't have the first claim to this land that Naomi is selling. But rather than fight it, and rather than try and manipulate the situation uh, to his advantage, he, he, he lets the legal system run its course. He goes through the motions that he knows he has to do. What does this show us about Boaz? I think, first of all, it shows us that he's a man of integrity, that he's a man of honesty. But secondly, and I think this is, this is the most important thing, it shows us that Boaz has confidence in God and confidence in how God's going to work things out in the end. Compare this to chapter 2, uh, verse 12, where Boaz says uh, to Ruth, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I think it's really interesting that Boaz knows that it isn't his protection that these women have come under, but rather it's God's protection, and that Boaz really has, has merely played a part in providing this. So in the same way that, that Boaz here is he's, he's acting in confidence, that he knows that God's in control, that he knows that God's going to be the one who's going to work this story out. I've got a question for you this morning. How confident are you that that is true today? How confident are you that you are part of God's work today? That in the same way that, that Boaz and Naomi and Ruth were involved in what God was doing at that time, so you can be involved in the work that God is doing today. And you know what? God's work never fails. Boaz knows this, and this frees him to know that he can allow the legal system to go through its course. He can allow uh, all the elders to witness it. And he knows that Naomi and Ruth are going to remain safe under the wings of God. I wonder what, what would our lives look like if we really grasped that that was as true today as it was 
them. I wonder what little decisions we would make each day that would be slightly different. Having the confidence that God is at work right here, that God is at work in your workplace, that God is at work in our churches, that God is at work in our families every single day. There are two things that I think having this, this knowledge does. First of all, I think it frees us to make mistakes. Yeah, I'm really aware of my own life. Uh, that there are so many times that I mess up. There are things that I say that I regret. There are things that I think that I regret. There are things that I do that I regret. But the beautiful thing about God is that he continues to work despite me. Jesus says in Matthew 16 that he's going to build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God is so much bigger than the mistakes that we make. What a relief. Isn't that a relief that God is bigger than the mistakes that we make? You know, that allows us to feel free. It allows us to breathe. What a relief. Secondly, I think it allows us to take risks. We're about to enter this, this Christmas period, uh, and there's something so special, I think, about Christmas, uh, just in, the, in the, the way that it, suddenly it seems it's okay to mention Jesus in conversations every now and again. You know, throughout the whole rest of year, the year, there's this, oh, no, hang on, you can't, can't talk about Jesus because people might get offended. But at Christmas, suddenly it's okay. You can, you can mention Jesus. Maybe God's calling you at this time of year to step outside the things that you're comfortable with, the, the situations you have control over, and maybe take a risk. It might just be starting up a conversation about faith. It might be standing up for, for a social justice issue that you see uh, happening around you. It might be as simple as, as inviting someone to a carol service. You know, as Andy's already talked about, this afternoon we've got uh, two services here, uh, 4.30 and then this evening. Uh, for, for, it's a great opportunity. It's such a non-threatening thing for people to come along to. You know, maybe just taking a risk is as simple as knocking on your neighbour's door and saying, hey, why don't you come along for a mince pie and sing some carols later on today? And you know what? The best thing about all this is that it might not work out the way that you imagine it might do. You might knock on your neighbour's door really excited and say, oh, do you want to come to the carol service? They might turn around and say, no thanks, I'm okay. But you know what? That's okay. That's all right. You know, it's not our responsibility to do God's work for him. And isn't that freeing? Isn't that liberating? You know, God says, take a risk. Go for it. I'll do the work. You know, you can say what you like about that guy in the video. You know, you can say that that's the, the craziest thing you've ever seen. But there is something, I think, about uh, something like that, about taking a risk like that, that elevates us, kind of lifts us out of ourselves and really allows us to live a life that is full you know, Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give us life to the fullest. And there's something I think about taking risks that allows us to really do that. So let's be more risk willing and let's wait and find out what happens, that God's work never fails. So that's my first point, God's work never fails. Secondly, God's redemption is final. Uh, how many people recognise uh, what this means? Some of the more kind of tech-savvy people might recognise what this is. Control-Z, or if you're a Mac user like I am, Command-Z. Just get it, you know, I need to get it right. Command-Z, or Control-Z. This is um, the keyboard shortcut uh, for undoing an action on a, on, a, on a computer. It might be something that you've typed that you want to undo. You might delete a file, hit undo, comes back. You know, this is an action that, uh, in my line of work, I use a computer for approximately 
nine hours every single day, 10 hours every single day, and I use Control-Z over and over and over and over and over again, you know, loads of times every single day. It's the little function that allows me to turn back time effectively, to get back to a state in which I was before, before I made a mistake, and before I wanted to try something, didn't work out, I could undo it. And there's so much so that I, I, it's become such second nature for me to hit Command-Z that I find myself, you know, when I break something in real life or I knock a glass of wine over, my brain automatically clicks into Command-Z, quick, undo it, and then I'm like, oh, hang on, no, I can't do that because it's in real life. But I think there's a lot in life that we actually like to leave in a state where we can Command-Z or Control-Z. I think for, for me, our generation has grown up in a world uh, which has taught us that, you know, if something doesn't work out, you know, well, undo it. Try something else. You know, we are, I think this is true for our relationships, isn't it? You know, if, some, if, if you're in a relationship, doesn't work out, it's all right, undo. Try something different. You know, I think it's true for our careers. You know, not happy in your career, it's all right, undo. Go try something else. I think it's true for our church life as well. Not happy in a church, it's all right, undo it. Try somewhere else. There's a lot in our lives that, that we like to leave in a state of being able to undo it. But I think it's important in this story to see the length that Boaz goes to to make sure that the deal that he strikes is completely un-undoable. He really goes to quite extraordinary lengths to make sure that he demonstrates that this is going to be legally binding. Look at verse 2. Boaz took 10 elders of the town. He's keen to make sure that the whole proceedings are witnessed by those people who have the most authority in the town who have the most influence. And this is confirmed in verse 11, when they say, yes, we are witnesses to this arrangement. And not only this, but Boaz is really keen to make sure that the legal process is also respected. He recognises that the other guy, he's got a better right for the, the land. And by offering him the first claim, actually what he's doing is he's saying, you know what, down the line, if this all works out, there's no way of anybody challenging it. There's no way of anybody coming to Boaz later and saying, hang on, Boaz, you didn't have the first right, this other guy did, and everything could come suddenly unraveled. This is Boaz acting with integrity, but he's also acting pretty shrewdly, I think, here. He's ensuring that, that his plan, when his plan pays off, that nothing can challenge it. It's interesting that verse in verse 7 that talks about uh, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took, takes off his sandal and gives it to the other. This is quite, quite a strange arrangement, but it's quite an interesting point that this has been included. You know, there is a, the, the state that, that it states that for the, for the arrangement to become final, for it to become legally binding, one party takes off his shoes, gives it to the other. I don't think this verse is simply here to explain why uh, the other guy takes off his shoes. I think this verse really speaks of the finality of this deal. That this deal is completely foolproof, it's completely final, and it's completely without any kind of loopholes. There's no way that after this deal has been struck that Boaz, or anybody else for that matter, can hit the undo key and take it back. So if this story, as we've said, is a window into looking at what God's like, what does this say about God? I think it tells us that just as Boaz's redemption if these women was final, so God's redemption of us is final. Do you ever find yourself, uh, I find myself thinking this occasionally, doubting that actually God's salvation of you through the work that Jesus did on the cross is final? 
Do you ever find yourself uh, doubting that you have been actually rescued by God? It's so easy to think that God has, has saved that person, God saved that person, and God saved that person, but when it comes to me, hang on, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe, uh, maybe God has actually got his fingers hovering over the control Z keys. That actually all it would take is for one little action, one little thought, one little word or of anger or, or some, some kind of some act that we do. And suddenly, oh, sorry, control Z, undo. And actually it's all been lost. If that's you this morning, I want you to be encouraged by this story. That the lengths that Boaz goes to to ensure that his deal is completely legally binding, that it's completely without loophole, that it's completely uh, final and completely uh, foolproof, the same is true for God's redemption of you this morning. That God's redemption of, of us through Jesus is totally, utterly, unfailingly final. There is no undo key for God. There is no, oh, hang on, take that back, roll that back. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it's, it's a famous verse. We, we've read this many times, but it just speaks of the finality of God's redemption of us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's fairly comprehensive, isn't it? It's fairly, you know, there aren't many loopholes in that, I think. Nothing can separate us from God's love. I did a quick look on Google and found that there's evidence that there are over 350 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the accounts of Jesus' life. And not just that, but in the eyes of the Old Testament law, the crucifixion of Jesus also fulfills the necessary legal requirements to redeem us. You see what's happening here? God's Redemption of us through Jesus wasn't just wishful thinking on his part. This wasn't God saying, oh, do you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this plan. And if it just doesn't work, well, you know, we'll, we'll undo it and try something else. God wasn't hoping that Jesus' death and resurrection would be enough to redeem us. This was a completely legally binding, completely watertight plan. So if you're a Christian here this morning, uh, just be encouraged that you have been redeemed. End of story. And that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So God's work never fails. God's redemption is final. And finally, God's love is forever. As we've already said, and as we're so aware, we're on the brink of, of another Christmas. Uh, I've already said how much I love this time of year, the anticipation of it. But it's so easy, isn't it, that at this time of year, just to go through the motions to go, oh, you know, it's Christmas, that means we have to do carol services, it means we have to get presents, we have to do this and this and this. You know, and it, was, it can be very easy to become so familiar with the Christmas story that actually we lose track of really how amazing it is. In the story of Ruth, there's something very significant about the, the, the use of the words guardian, redeemer, to describe Boaz. Some translations uh, say the words kinsman, redeemer. Boaz was to Naomi and to Ruth, he was both a kinsman, you know, he had the closeness of family, but he was also a redeemer. That is, he had the ability and the authority to be able to, to rescue them, to be able to redeem them. And if there's one thing I think the Christmas story tells us, it is that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. 
The two things working hand to hand, kinsman and redeemer together. I found this great quote uh, while I was preparing for this. This is a guy called David Guzik who wrote a commentary on the book of Ruth. And he said this, Jesus in his eternal glory, without the addition of humanity to his divine nature, might have saved us, but he would not have been our kinsman. A great prophet or priest would have been our kinsman, but his own sin would have disqualified him as our redeemer. Only Jesus, the eternal God, who added humanity to his eternal deity, can be both the kinsman and the redeemer for mankind. Christmas shows us that God's plan in Jesus was to show himself both as our kinsman, which is one who is as close as family, who can suffer with us, who can laugh with us, who can relate to us, but also as our redeemer, one who is perfectly authorised and able to save us. Just as Naomi and Ruth had had to return to Bethlehem to find their guardian redeemer. So, you know, this Christmas, the invitation is there for us as well, that we are to return to Bethlehem and there we can find exactly the same. We can find our guardian redeemer, we can find our kinsman redeemer in Bethlehem. Naomi and Ruth had to return to Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph, if you remember in the story, had to return to Bethlehem, to Joseph's hometown for the census. So too, return to Bethlehem to find your guardian redeemer, your kinsman redeemer this Christmas. And you know what? It's in that place that we find that God's love for us is so much bigger and so much greater than we ever imagined it could be. That that love for us that we can never be separated from exists right there in our kinsman redeemer in Bethlehem. And this love is completely faultless. It is completely legally binding. It's unstoppable. It's without any loopholes. It's completely foolproof. The story of Ruth is evidence of this, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I think the, the, the passage ends really on one of my favourite verses in the whole of the story. As the women say this to, to Naomi at the end, they say, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And you know what? The same is so true for us today. That at this Christmas time, God has not left us. He hasn't left us without a guardian redeemer. And that's in Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? God, thank you for the truth that we can find our guardian redeemer in Jesus this Christmas. God, thank you that as you invite us to uh, return to Bethlehem this Christmas, Lord, that we can come in confidence knowing that your work never fails. That God, your redemption of us through Jesus is completely faultless. It is completely final. And God, it is totally, totally strong and nothing can shake it, Lord. And Father, I pray that there, for anyone here who maybe hasn't experienced that, that love, that sense of security, knowing that they have been redeemed, Father, I pray that you would just meet them this Christmas, Lord. 
Thank you, God, that we can have confidence in you. Thank you for this story of Ruth, that, that through it we can see you at work. And Lord, I pray that we would see you at work and in the same way every day, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.